everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, all right, uh, fall camp has begun. Rice is officially practicing in preparation for the 2021 season. Um, we will In be- August. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, you know, well, hold on. I don't know if y'all can hear me knocking on wood, but they are uh, <laughs> set to play a game in September. Set to play multiple games in September this year. What a concept. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you said that I had to pinch myself and look at the <laughs> Everybody else across the country, what, September football? Sometimes we play in August. We're just like, football, any of it, please. Incredible. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like you mentioned, we have fall camp is underway at the first scrimmage of fall camp is actually uh, this coming Saturday, which uh, a depth chart piece just went up on Patreon. If you're subscribed there, if you're not, if you want to know what's going on within fall camp, I think we have like a quarterback battle or something going on for the little bit. Yeah. 17th year in a row. Um, Yeah, but there's a lot going on. So subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash at the roost uh, at the roost.com you can go find it uh, we'll have notes there and first scrimmage and that's really interesting because that's really where we start flushing out what rotations are going to look like and who's kind of in the catbird seat catbird owl owl seat owl perch <laughs> we'll, we'll get a, a, a spin on that Who who's in control for those starting spots we got a lot a linebacker we'll talk about uh we have a hundred corners now instead of like one. So yep, it, solid. it'll be interesting. And and so we've, we've held off on talking uh, early camp reports until we kind of get through that scrimmage. And so next week we'll kind of, we'll start our, our previews kind of work through offense defense. And then in a couple weeks we will get to Arkansas and a football game. Like you mentioned. Yeah. Previewing a real football game. Where's that wood that you're knocking on? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other thing is that uh, we are also in training camp season for the NFL. And currently there are 10 former Rice Owls currently on uh, NFL training camp rosters. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty solid. I'm excited about that. And when I was going through, if if you go to uh, atthros.com slash NFL Owls, I, I keep that list updated all the time as far as who's signing free agents and practice squads. I had to take Vance McDonald's name off the list when I updated it this week, which was sad because I'd forgotten in the, all the chaos of this past year oh, that yeah. he retired. Yeah. And uh, he might own like the best highlight of a tight end ever when he truck sticked that guy yeah. on Monday Night Football. That was uh. That's a treasured memory. I, I, I'm that that might have been. Was that was that were we at the radio show at uh? Oh, what bar was that? The bar doesn't exist anymore. Oh yeah, um, yeah. No, though, all the bars in Rice Village are gone now, <laughs> except for like uh, the little Woodrow's right there is still there, but the others are like all gone, literally. I it's 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 only been like two or three years and I've already like the name has escaped me. I don't know. But yeah, so that was great. But uh, I'll run through who we have so far. So Miles Adams signed a futures contract. 
Uh, he's in Seattle camp with the Seahawks this week, uh, or I guess has been for a while now at this point. We got Calvin Anderson. He's back with the Broncos. This is his last year. His deal runs to the end of the season. Uh, Chris Boswell um, on a, in the middle of a four-year deal with the Steelers, so he's still there. Uh, then we got uh, Bryce Callahan again with the Broncos. Hopefully we'll didn't get to see him last year. I'm excited to get to see him this year. And then Christian Covington, a uh, friend of the pod. Hmm. I guess Calvin Anderson, also friend of the pod. All, all of y'all are welcome on the Several pod. Several of but, these people are yeah. friends of the pod, yeah. <laughs> we got a good list. I like this. Uh, but Covington is with uh, the Chargers. So after spending a, a year with the Bengals last year. So he's out on the West Coast. And Emmanuel Ellerby with the Falcons on a one-year deal. He was with uh, Seattle, I, I think, like for like three weeks in Houston at the end of last year, something like that. And then a couple more. We got Jack Fox, the Jack Fox starting punter for the Detroit Lions. Pro Bowler Jack Fox, also friend <laughs> of the pod. Then Nick Leverett, he... Uh, I, I I saw I guess he was made the White House trip with the Bucks. Um, was with the Bucks all last year on their Super Bowl run, and he's back with the the Bucks camp. I actually saw a quote from uh, Bruce Arians this past week uh, talking about Leverett, and he mentioned that he had a great camp and was going to carve out a role for himself somewhere. And okay. I'll beat guys saying that. He would. He thinks Leverett is a a good lock to make the Bucks roster, the fifty three, and not not the practice squad, yeah. which is exciting. And another guy who is turning heads in fall camp, Austin Trammell. Uh, there were reports out of fall or out of fall camp. All the camps were running together. Reports out of Falcons camp uh, that man, this this shifty guy was making plays. So good start for him, and. I, I yeah, heard there. I wondered how he was doing the other day, and I just went and Googled Austin Trammell and hit the uh, hit the news tab on Google, and all of these stories popped up that were like Austin Trammell turning heads at at Falcons camp. And I'm like, all right. Well, you know, he's good at football. We could have <laughs> told you that Falcons. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so good good reports from him, and then Austin Walter, he is out with the Jets. He got claimed off of waivers from the 49ers, so he's been there in, in camp with them. And uh, that just about rounds it out. Uh, got a handful of free agents. Uh, uh, Andrew Sandejo, I saw he was taking a couple of visits. Luke Wilson, I, I, I just kind of assume he'll be back with the Seahawks at some point this year because it's the annual tradition. Yeah, he always <laughs> seems to, to end up there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Justin Gooseberry, Philip Gaines, a couple guys that have been uh, on rosters in the past couple years, uh, I, like, I guess with Gaines, he's been with the Texans and, and Goose yeah. uh, was in a camp. I think he was in camp, Falcons camp last year, actually, um, before getting cut. So he was in the Spring Lake that played at Rice Stadium. I did see that. I always forget that that is a thing that happens. I would have forgotten it was happening unless the Rice like equipment account wasn't tweeting it out. So <laughs> shout out to uh, it, this is a complete aside, but equipment Twitter is great Twitter. Just go pick whatever school Twitter account you want that does the equipment for any football team. I like I chuckle. It's they're one of the only portions of any like major college athletics. Um, like athletic department where they have their own social media and it's clear that 
the people who work in that department run the social media. Right, right. It's not sanitized first. Yeah, no. I love it. Yeah, we've seen. And, and speaking of uh, equipment, uh, I don't think we mentioned this yet. The turf is getting replaced at Rice Field, at Rice right, Rice Stadium, the field at Rice Stadium. It's going to be new and spiffy. I'm just hoping for less uh, pellets that pop up whenever you are walking on the turf. Yeah, we had that kind of turf when I was in high school and I was in marching band and I feel like I sometimes still find little <laughs> rubber pellets like <laughs> in and around my person like what, 13 years since I was last in high school. It's about right. They just follow you, stick in your hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah, we got the NFL camp going on. We got Rice Fall Camp. It's a busy time. If you haven't yet, uh, I'm probably going to mention again, you should pick up the season preview. You got the the position previews. We're we're gonna kind of hit bigger picture, but if you want a, a little bit more nitty gritty, uh, I actually an aside. Uh, I had somebody told me uh, who was it? W- Wiley Green. Yeah, you guys know Wiley. Yeah, he told oh, me that yeah. that that Nate Camper was somebody who'd really impressed him with uh, how he's turned out in the fall and kind of his his start so far. And Nate Camper was my sleeper watch for the tight end position in the preview. I'm not going to get them all right, but I'm just I'm just saying pick one of those up. You'll get a couple sleepers, a couple names to watch, and it, it can keep you busy. It's a, it's 150 pages. So if we're 20 ish some odd days until the season, you can read three pages a day. And uh, and you'll be good. You'll know everything you need to know and listen to us. So carve out that time too. All right, and we are here now with Sam and Dustin from the Scott and Holman podcast. Here to talk UH. How's it going, guys? How's it going, guys? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, doing great. Always, always love to talk U of H Rice. Yeah, I was trying to remember the last time we had you on. Like, I feel we've had a pandemic in between. <laughs> I think I, I want to say I don't know about both of us. I know I talked to y'all within a week of of Rice um, Rice cancel or, or like i think postponing the start of their season i believe was that on this i because i think i did the the trivia with you guys last year yeah but i, I remember talking Maybe. to both yeah we did we did and that was the last trivia we did. i remember talking to both you and carter i think sometime in late july early august about a football game that i don't that never happens so yeah. <laughs> i don't need time is a flat circle man how many I, football I, I games that <laughs> sorry carter <laughs> i just like it, it it's meaningless i remember nothing I was going to say, how many football games did you preview that didn't happen? It was like six, Dustin. I think it was like six. Oh, was, we, ne- we never did SMU or Tulsa because those got those got canceled before. But it was, uh, I guess we never officially previewed Wazoo or, but a, a number, a number is much greater than zero, unfortunately. Yeah. So what was it like from from your your perspective from just walking through all of this and and how it pertained to you UH because. Uh, yeah, I know Carter and I, we, we, we only had five games that that happened and we that we got to talk about. But what was it like on the other side of town? Because it doesn't sound like it was too different. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty strange. I mean, I know a lot of teams had a lot of different types of seasons and the number of games that they played and that kind of thing. I don't know if any team had as many false starts as Houston, though, where they kept. OK, no, this week we're going to play. OK, just kidding. OK, this week we're going to play. No, 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 no. It's Baylor. We are going to play after. OK, no, just kidding. The, the 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 replacement game is also canceled. Like, how do you have a game get canceled, get a replacement game, have the replacement game also get canceled? Like, I, I, even in a year where everyone was dealing with a lot of craziness uh, to some extent. It, we got more than our fair share. It was 
it was very Twilight Zone-esque, is I think the best uh, descriptor. Just waiting for the day when the loop would be over and we would actually get to see U of H play a football <laughs> game again. Very, uh, the energy of like the subtitles from the opening of the Monty, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where it's like the people <laughs> responsible for sacking those who have been sacked have been sacked. <laughs> Monty Python, that pretty much sums up a lot of how last season went. Because wh what was it for you guys? Because I believe, was it four or five consecutive openers that, that got canceled before you actually opened with Tulane? Was that the first game? It was. I, I, it's five if you count that, you know, Rice and Washington State both postponed the starts of their season. So if you count those two, um, Memphis, Memphis was supposed to be the opener. Memphis may or may not have had a uh, a party bu a party bus that became a super spreader event and i think knocked out arkansas state for some games too because they played arkansas Mem state extremely memphis and, energy yes so that was that was one of them then we had the baylor game to replace that that got canceled i think almost exactly 24 hours before it was supposed to happen it got canceled so late that u of h's equipment trucks had already made it to uh, mclean stadium yeah, I believe Holgerson tweeted out the picture of the bus in front of the stadium. Yeah, he, he did. And uh, North North Texas was one, too. Right, Dustin? North Texas had their COVID issues and they yeah. got canceled. So, yeah, all together, all together five before uh, the start, before we started our season. I believe Temple was the only team that had, like, committed to a September start or whatever, or early fall start that started later than us. I believe they started, like, that Saturday and we played that Thursday night. And so if if we fast forward a, a little bit, we I feel like we've all lived in last year a little bit. So now we kind of have a flavor of where you guys were. Can you give me just the 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 bird's eye view of just kind of like where the program is right now as we head into fall camp? Because I, I'm at what this is your I guess year three now uh, under Holgerson. So I, I, I anticipate there being a little bit of similarities with where. Rice is going your four uh, with Bloomgren. Am I too far off? No, yeah, I think that's fair. There's definitely the uh, the uh, some some itchy itchy fans ready to see some uh, some return on the significant financial investment that is the uh, the Dana Holgerson project. It wasn't just bringing in Holgerson, but also when he came in, um, just putting together an assistant salary pool that was unequaled in the uh, the so-called Group of Five. Um, so it's, you know, the, the school and, uh, and Tillman Fertitta have put quite a bit of uh, dollars up to make the, uh, the Dana Holgerson thing happen. And obviously year one and year two have been pretty forgettable. And, and year one was a little bit by design with the, uh, the, you know, the red shirt project and the you know, year two was, you know, COVID craziness, but, uh, with the other uh, schedule that Houston has this year, uh, they avoid both Cincinnati and UCF in uh, in conference play, obviously probably the two top teams there. If uh, you know, we don't see an eight or nine win Houston team this year, then people are going to be pretty, uh, pretty, uh, very much looking into uh, how much it's going to cost to uh, to move on from Dana. Because as much as uh, we're all trying to be patient, uh, this is definitely a put up or shut up type of year. Well, he has money now because he sold the online rights to his casinos this week. <laughs> did did Tillman, did Tillman do that? Yeah, he sold it to uh, DraftKings, bought all his uh, the Golden Nuggets online properties. Okay. I was gonna say I expect a new facility of some kind then in the next uh, in the next ten years. Then what's left? You need a bubble. Rice has a pretty sweet sweet bubble. No, uh, Herm Herman whined and complained about uh, having to practice uh, outside in Houston. I think that that 
his whining and complaining got us an indoor practice facility uh, in, in, in the parking lot of the, the current stadium where a lot of tailgating used to be, but like an indoor practice facility, uh, nevertheless. <laughs> that so. sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> Is a, a, a large enough for a bicycle track to run around? Just asking for some student friends. By <laughs> <laughs> <Like> comparison, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it it is pretty crazy because I think Rice was in a position. I don't I don't know if it was quite put up or shut up last year, but last year for Rice was supposed to be the year where Bloomgren put all the pieces together and everything worked. It was it was year three, but uh, all of the assembling had been done. Go play it on the field, and of course, COVID happens, and then whatever you want to do with that season, not not kind of throw it away, but. But it is what it is, and so it kind of delayed the 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 direness of the situation, if you will. And I don't know if it it added pressure. Do you guys feel like that that now the the year after the year of COVID there was expectation, but somehow it's it's doubled more than it would have just gotten to a regular next season? Are we kind say, of compensating? No, I would I would say I would say at least in our case, I would say it's it's the same level of pressure. I think. I think if Houston had gone six and six last year, let's just say a hypothetical season where COVID doesn't happen, you know, Houston goes six and six, they're not paying the money to get rid of Dana Holgerson after that. But, you know, I think year three, I would say, honestly, I think COVID actually maybe took the pressure off a little bit because, you know, the year U of H had last year, you know, three and five might sound disappointing. And in some respects it was, there were some areas where I feel like the team maybe wasn't where I wanted it to be, but yeah, you could also rightfully look at that season and be like, well, you know, we just got done talking about five games canceled in September and just the nightmare for everyone that was trying to play a season last year, just, you know, losing large, losing entire position groups, losing, losing large swaths of the roster, just, you know, seemingly week to week and just, you know, getting on social media and seeing notifications. It's just like, Oh, my team has 25 to 40 players out right now because of contact tracing and positive COVID cases. And that's just, you know, I, I, I try to imagine explaining that to myself in 2019. So I guess, you know, very roundabout way of saying, I think it took the pressure off a little bit, but I, I still kind of like Dustin was saying, I still don't think it took the pressure off enough to where, you know, a six, seven win season this year wouldn't be met by pretty strong consternation from the Cougar fan base at large. And then let's talk about some of those people, because I feel like at this point, and it's interesting, uh, Rice has a seventh year player on their roster. So some guys, it feels like they've been there forever, but some of these guys actually have started college football, I guess. in what Javon Wolford would have 2015. Is that right? Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. And, and I'm all this to say Clayton tune. I know he hasn't been there for a hundred years, but it kind of feels like he's been there for a hundred years. Cause somebody else was the guy, then he was the guy and then somebody else was the guy and then he was the guy and then he got hurt and somebody else was the guy. And now he's, the guy again. So, but this year, this is the first year for Clayton Toon where there is, there's nobody else. It's, it's Clayton Toon's job. So kind of what's the, what's your, your status report uh, on Mr. Toon? Is he ready to take that step? Yeah. The, the, the incredible thing is he's been, it feels like he's been in college forever and he's only a redshirt junior. He could come back next year. Um, <laughs> so he, uh, but the, the the one of the one like silver lining, the one like beautiful justice of the uh, the whole COVID weirdness season was that Clayton Toon's first year out of high school, uh, Coach Applewhite decided to play him in the stupid bowl game, burned his red shirt, so he came back it's as a true sophomore. The most the next- inexcusable yeah. use of that. I'll, I'll let Dustin finish, but just like 
Just one of the, just part and parcel of why Major Applewhite is just unfit to be a D1 head coach. Sorry, Dustin. I'm done. But, uh, but anyway, so but, but he, got, he got his year back. So this like this should be his redshirt junior year regardless. Um, but it is. So but anyway, so, I, you know, I think the point being is that, you know, it, we, uh, Dana Horson said it in a press conference recently that, you know, if if, uh, if Clayton Toon's not a pretty good quarterback by year three working under Dana Holgerson, the Dana Holgerson's not a very good coach. And it's been kind of interesting to see him roll with Clayton Tune as long as he has, given that this is someone that he didn't he didn't recruit. He was taken over, a, you know, a quarterback from the previous coaching staff, and it wasn't someone who had proven himself so definitively that he had to get a starting job. So he has had three years to go out and look for a you know transfer to come and push Tune in camp or something like that, and it hasn't happened. So clearly, there's a you know Dana Holgerson feels pretty confident about uh, Clayton Tune, but you know I think for the third year in a row we're coming into the season saying okay. You know, how much can Clayton Toon improve? That's going to depend largely on how much the offensive line improves in front of him. Because a lot of the, a lot of the advanced metrics will say that if you take his passing numbers when he actually has a clean pocket, he's actually a pretty good quarterback. Uh, he just hasn't had hasn't had very many of those. And while he can make some plays with his feet, he's not some, you know, Greg Ward Jr.-esque, just, you know, a remarkable talent who can, you know, Greg Ward Jr. didn't need a great offensive line. It didn't seem like because he could just make something happen regardless. And Clayton Toon is going to make some errors when he's under constant pressure. So, you know, I think his development in line with the offensive line development is is the the key question heading into the season for Houston and as it has been kind of for the last couple of years. So, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'd like to th- you know, I, I've seen enough good plays from Clayton Toon and he's got the arm to make a lot of really good throws and you know, I've seen enough from him that you know, I feel like there's there's more that he's capable of and I feel like he is the victim of getting thrust too much into the spotlight too early. Um, but, uh, he's definitely, he still has, uh, you know, he hasn't proven it. He's, he's thrown a lot of uh, college passes yet and he's yet to put together a really consistently solid season. So, uh, his, you know, he, he Daniel Holgerson for better or worse, sure seems like he's going to kind of make or break this season with Clayton too. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the offensive line. I wanted to a- ask you about that because it's been, there's been some real talent that's come, come through on the offensive line for Houston. Uh, I guess under Holderson and before, uh, but kind of a, a reset with some newer guys this year. Cody Rusty is somebody who uh, I, we watched a lot at Louisiana Tech who can just dominate in the trenches. And so that's a nice piece. But, uh, you know, how how confident are you that they're going to be able to slide in together? Because a lot of a lot of schools with covid are returning uh, Phil Steele was on our podcast two weeks ago, and he was saying that w- w- what was it, Carter? That like 103 of 130 FBS schools were returning four of five starters, or something like that. Yeah, he said it was um, ridiculous. Aaron Taylor from the who's on the the committee for the Joe Moore Award was putting together their watch list, and he went to Phil and said, "Hey, can I have a list of all the teams that bring back three or more offensive line starters?" Phil was like, okay, that's like 125 out of 100 out of 130 teams. And he was like, okay, well, four, and that was like a hundred teams. So uh, a lot of teams bringing back a lot of alignment this year. I guess my answer is obviously, first off, the Cody Russi edition is huge. I've said this multiple times. I think he's the biggest offseason. Acquisition's the wrong word. I don't know if NIL maybe acquisition works what, now. But, whatever um, you call that. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest offseason edition, certainly. I think verbatim the two of us while we were watching just a awful new mexico bowl in frisco uh on tv we were just like this line is just screaming for a grad transfer guy either from maybe one of the lower rated group of five conferences or a guy who's an fcs all-american probably not that different from javon wolford at rice right now a guy 
a guy who dominated, but maybe dominated a slightly lower level than UH generally plays at. And lo and behold, a month or two later, Cody Russi, four years starting center from what's been a pretty solid and consistent lot of tech program is going to play his last year at U of H. I just, we were, we were over the moon about that. Like the line, especially the interior line has really, really been a struggle. And to have a, have a guy who's just a, a genuine, really great, you know, kind of earth mover up there, you know, kind of spearheading your offense. It's great news. And just a position that kind of Dustin was touching on that we really, really needed uh, the help. I, I do think just in terms of just injury luck, I think U of H is owed a season where, you know, we don't start just an insane combination of guys. I think Holgerson's, so the year before Holgerson got here, 2018, U of H started a total of six different offensive linemen and two different combinations. They, they basically had to swap out the right tackle one game. I think Dennis Bardwell started one game at right tackle. Uh, I think since Holgerson's gotten here, we haven't had the same combination of offensive line starters more than two or three games in a row. It's just been, it's been a constant shuffle of guys. It's been a constant shuffle of guys in a position where it was already going to kind of be your weak point. It was already going to be the kind of season where U of H needed to kind of get lucky in terms of guys staying healthy and being able to start the same combination of guys and just emphatically have not gotten it the last two seasons. And I think, yeah, I think, in some in some way, you know, injuries are completely out of your control, but you just feel like at some point U of H can't have three years in a row where you're starting seven to eight different combinations of guys in a season, right? And I think, you know, I'm tempting fate by saying that, but yeah, I think U of H is owed a season, you know, kind of where it's not a constant shuffle up front. And I think, you know, Clayton Clayton Toon, you know, what Clayton Toon is this year, I think, is just is so is so contingent on that. I think in terms of U of H and Rice, I, I think, you know, early in the season, you know, odds are you're probably going to see something closer to U of H's first choice five guys. But, you know, in, in terms of big Cougar season hopes, it's the the big thing is going to be whether in November you're still starting most of the same five guys the staff thinks is the best five guys up front. Yeah, I'm with you on the the injury front. I'd like a bounce back here for the owls because they had no corners no wide receivers no safeties by the time we got to the end of the year and it's only played five games so it was just it, it was wild yeah, yeah. It, we're, we're 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 with you we're jettisoning that into space and we're coming back with mostly full fully healthy rosters crossed. yeah fingers rabbit's foots uh i i talked to I remember any good years, luck charm anyone has I I asked Bloomgren two years ago because uh, Rice had uh, a couple quarterbacks get hurt. And uh, I said, you know, what are you going to do? Just wrap them in bubble wrap? He said, uh, you know, I'll take bubble wrap, rabbit's foot, whatever good luck charm. I need to uh, hold babies to kiss, whatever we need (laughs) just to keep them healthy. Amen. Aye, aye, aye. But uh, the healthy guys, and I think this is interesting because this is really a, a question mark that I have because I, I vividly remember uh, when Rice and Houston last met on the football field. Uh, Rice was somewhat surprisingly winning the game, and then De'Eric King just figured, I can just throw it 60 yards in the air to Marquez Stevenson, and no one else will catch it, and he'll run for a touchdown. And I think they that that they ran that play like four times in the fourth quarter and scored fifty points, and that was the game. Uh, Marquez Stevenson, I think is 
I don't know if he's on an NFL roster or not. He was with the, he was the Beals uh, sixth round pick. Uh, okay. In the, in the spring. Yeah. NFL talented guy. Uh, who, who else is there? Because I know you have, uh, y'all were passed me in the notes for the preview tank. You have a tank that you're throwing to, but, but who else is there to kind of make this offense go? Because when I think of Dana Holgerson, I think of an aerial attack with some receiver doing something incredible. Yeah, I think Tank Dell is going to be a big part of that receiving core. He is he's someone that was one of the, the brighter spots uh, last year. And was not always a season was the the emergence of Tank Dell. Um, Kashawn Carter is a receiver from Texas Tech that's going to um, going to be playing for Houston this year. I expect he's probably going to be one of the other top uh, targets as well. But I think one of the big targets, and this is maybe not this is not the guy that's going to get thrown the ball 60 yards downfield, um, but someone who I think is going to be a big part of this offense and an emerging part of this offense is a tight end by the name of Christian Trahan. It was pretty good for Houston. It kind of got better as the season went along, who the staff's been talking up uh, quite a bit. So I think uh, Trahan and Dell and uh, and uh, Kishon Carter, I think that's probably your, your top three targets for uh, Clayton Tune, if I would guess, heading into the next season. And then what kind of overall, what, what's your confidence level then on the offense? Because it's it's been a, I don't know, maybe a, a nervous, nervous, anxious, optimistic kind of kind of feel as we, we talk through this. Because uh, Houston's been able to score for as long as I remember putting points up was not the problem. But you could you might argue that the defense was better than the offense for for Houston last year, which is probably atypical from how it's been. Is that kind of going to, you know, balance back this year or, or are we going to see another? Uh, it, it, not a defensive standout performance maybe at, at Houston, but kind of them being a step ahead. I would actually say pretty definitively right now, I think I think the defense is, is way ahead of the offense. And, and Holderson said as much. I think he said, you know, they, they kick our butts every day, but that's a good sign for me. That, mean, that means this is going to be a good unit. And U of H just returns, I think, an enviable amount of experience at all levels. I'll, I'll leave the, the detail on the defense to, you know, when we're talking the defense, but I would say right now, if you want to do a, your standard one to 10 scale with one being, you know, least and 10 being most confident, I would say I'm somewhere around a six with the Cougar offense. There's, there's a good amount of offensive line experience returning. I think the fact that you've had to play a number of guys over the last two years, I think means UH has a pretty nice, a pretty nice, I would say not a ton of guys with a lot of years of experience, but a number of guys now that have something around a season's worth of starting experience against division one competition. I think you just cannot, you can't overwrite that for offensive line. I think more than any other position, it's just getting live reps against D one competition, the physical development, you know, being in the program, you know, it's it just, it's such a, a longer game than maybe receiver or running back or even quarterback, even with all that goes in there. But, but like Dustin was talking about earlier, I think Clayton tune, I think Clayton tune has showed unbelievable physical, ability at times he's shown unbelievable toughness you know in flashes this has looked like a really good offense but he's also you know not shown ability not to make kind of baffling turnovers at certain junctures not to maybe panic when he gets you know a bit of a a bit of a close pass rush on him which you know even if this is a good offensive line he's still he's still going to find himself in situations where he needs to make a split second decision I think more often than I would say probably the staff has liked over the last two years, the split second decision he's made has been just about the worst one you can make. And there's been some pretty head scratching turnovers in there, but there's also been just, you know, him, him showcasing, I think more dual threat ability than we expected, even though I wouldn't say he's a Greg Ward, Jared King, I would say Clayton tune is far more of a dual threat than I thought he was in 2018 
or 2019. And certainly, certainly the level of dual threat that Holgerson and OC Shannon Dawson can can basically force the opposing defense to respect that Clayton Toon carrying the ball and getting a big game is a possibility. You need to spy Clayton Toon. Although if any opposing defensive coordinators are listening to this, you do not need to spy Clayton Toon. <laughs> Clayton, Clayton Toon might as well be playing 10 on 11. Don't even – but, I mean – Well, again, here, g- gentlemen's agreement. Crash the zone read handoff every we'll, time. Just, we'll, do, every just time. do it. Let him, let him carry it. Yep. We'll pass along to Rice DC. Brian Smith will tell him, look, don't spy Clayton Toon, and Houston has agreed not to spy Luke McCaffrey. Deal. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> but, you know, and I think, I think also just seeing this offensive line develop a consistent running game, that's, I think, was the biggest surprise for me last year was the running game most weeks was, was pretty terrible. Uh, the Cougs weren't really able to get much done there. I know as much as Dana Holgerson, I think, is rightfully – earned a reputation for passing success and passing offense. He's made it pretty clear from the moment he got here, he really wants this offense to have a good running game, to incorporate the run game. And they've really aggressively gone after bodies. And just the Cougs can go four or five deep at running back this year. You know, like Kellen Walker, probably the fourth or fifth choice. Alton McCaskill, really great freshman out of Oak Ridge, who I expect to see some this year. Could be fourth or fifth choice. I wouldn't really bat an eye at it because there's a lot of cumulative experience. I think there's a lot of cumulative experience. I would say every position group except receiver. I think outside the three guys Dustin mentioned, there's not really a whole lot proven behind those guys. There's a lot of experience. There's not a lot of proven excellence. I think that's. I think the gulf between what we've seen and what we'd like to see. That's we're going to find out this year, for better or for worse, if this group of guys is capable of something close to sustained excellence or sustained being good to very good. Yeah. I mean, and, and we'll see. And, and, and you mentioned the, at one point in that discussion, getting to the defense. And that's where I want to kind of transition here because uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of intrigue with, with this, this defense, Grant Stewart and Peyton Turner, obviously the two big guys, uh, leaving off to, uh, I guess, uh, more more pro connections. This is becoming a, a common thing, which is probably a good thing, right? But th- those two guys, especially Peyton, leaves some physically and and realistically big shoes to fill uh, in the front seven. I think that was a, a part where I'm curious to see what what that looks like. How does how how is your confidence level on? the that that units that just the front being able to get disruption and, and you know create those those havoc plays because I think that was a probably a part um from my perspective that seemed to be something that was kind of missing from last year's defense as good as they were uh there was not enough game-changing uh, ability there is that is that is that kind of a fair uh, assessment yeah I think there was a pretty dramatic difference when uh, Peyton Turner was or wasn't on the field for Houston last year in terms of how much havoc they were able able to uh, to create in the backfield. Um, that's I, th- I think a lot of you know Cougars have actually or a lot of Cougar fans I would say including Sam and myself actually have a fair amount of confidence in the other uh, front line. I think getting uh, Latrell Bankston uh, up front, who was a guy that played for Iowa State and played a uh, you know played a pretty significant amount for the Cyclones on a pretty good defensive line, uh, made a lot of plays. So he's someone that uh, got added this offseason that I know we're both pretty excited to see go. Uh, Cedric Williams was someone who uh, was pretty highly touted out of JUCO and. Um, ended up sitting out last year because of uh, COVID scare, but is coming back this year. And um, you got some other guys that have, that have shown, shown some really good things. Guys like David Anini on the uh, on the defensive line. De'Anthony Jones was another JUCO transfer who was kind of 
I, I think it was dealing with some injuries last year, but you know, when he was on the field was showing some, uh, some really good things. So, um, and then, then, um, Logan Hall is someone who's been here for a few years now who the, the staff is just raving about. So the, uh, the, the coaching staff seems pretty confident in, uh, in the front, uh, the defensive line and Brian early is the other uh, defensive line coach, someone who was just a, uh, a really, really good track record of turning out a lot of really good defensive linemen. So, um, even though, uh, even with Peyton Turner gone, I would say, Sam, and you can tell me if you, uh, you disagree here, but I, I think defensive line is actually one of the positions I feel better about for, uh, for Houston heading into uh, the next season. Yeah, I'd fully co-sign all of that. And then how, how would you, if, if you were going to rank them then b- between the different levels, defensive line, linebacker, and the secondary, which, which one of those do you have the most amount of confidence in? And then on the other side of the scale, what, what, what's your kind of biggest area of concern? I would say defensive line is, is the area of most confidence. I would put um, I would put the defensive backs uh, in the middle there. Juvich just cumulatively returns a ton of experience there. And and this isn't to say I'm not confident in this unit because I really am more than I've been since I would say that going to the 2016 season. I'm more confident in this Cougar defense than I've been any unit the last several years prior. But I would say the linebacker just because you do lose Grant Stewart there. Now, granted, you bring in someone with a lot of experience and someone the staff already was starting to use in this role last year a little bit and Deontay Anderson at linebacker. But, and, and I think you could also trace, I think, the rise and fall of this defense last year to, uh, to Donovan Mutant, the Cougs uh, starting uh, middle linebacker, who I think just great run stuff. Or you look at, you look at the BYU game, you look at the, um, the Tulane opener, and then you look at most of the Navy game and you just see a Cougar defense that was just very stout against the run. You know, Mutant goes out, I think, in the second half of the Navy game. And I, I, there were there were some low points. Uh, the Cincinnati and UCF games, just the Cougars just got absolutely gashed by the run. But you saw you saw this team go from a very good run defense to, you know, kind of a, a sometimes good and sometimes awful run defense about Donovan Mutant. And I think just him being able to stay healthy for a full season, I think, Maybe that also, you know, I mean, because he missed a good chunk of last year, will he be able to stay healthy for all of this season? I'd like to think so. But, you know, I just think that and Deontay Anderson moving to a different position, I think maybe is why my confidence isn't in the same place. But, you know, just a lot of cumulative experience in the defensive backfield. You have a good starting cornerback pair and Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams coming back. Marcus Jones, an All-American return guy. I would I wouldn't make a lot of bold and superlative claims uh, about this, but. I firmly believe the best punt returner Rice will see in 2021 is is Marcus Jones because I think he might be the best punt returner in the sport and a good cover corner too. I think UVH really suffered for him. The one game he missed last year was against uh, Zach Wilson, BYU, and just a ton of cumulative returning experience at safety as well. I think a, a guy in Doug Belk who's a real rising star, the current Cougar defensive coordinator, a guy who Holgerson basically had to promote to sole defensive coordinator to keep uh, keep the school in Austin and Georgia from hiring him to coach defensive backs there. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be really excited about just in terms of cumulative experience. Uh, if you're a Cougar fan that, that I would say, even the unit that I just got done telling you I'm the least confident in of all the <laughs> units, I would say is still, it, it would say is still ranks up there in terms of recent Cougar linebacker groups. I still think would be better than most of the recent uh, Cougar linebacker groups that we've seen. And then a couple of those guys returning, but a couple uh, transfers as well. How have you kind of as, of course, there was the, the red shirt experiment that y'all mentioned at the beginning. But what have you, have, what has been y'all's take on 
just the balance that Holgerson has had when it comes to bringing in high school seniors versus JUCO and, and transfer guys, because I feel like every coach in school, I mean, is taking somewhat of a different tact with that. I, I know it's not like you can go all the full Texas state and, and not sign any high school kids or one or two, but I know, I know Houston's yeah. not there, but, but they did, did add a good amount of transfers in that mix of some of those guys that you were going through. Yeah, there's, there's been definitely the, the staff has been pretty aggressive about going after division one transfers and the, the high school. And part of this was just the class balance that they inherited from the previous coaching staff as well. But the, the, the high school classes have been, you know, in the, in the teens, I think generally since they've, uh, they've been here, not really the full 25. So I think definitely you're seeing some accommodations in some smaller high school classes because they are um, um, hitting the transfer, the transfer route. But you know, I, mean, I think a lot of the guys that have come in from the transfer route, we've been pretty wowed by their, you know, their their track record. And a lot of the guys that we've been talking about, you know, the Marcus Jones, and you know, he was he was a a Division one transfer, for example, and he's maybe the the most exciting player on this uh, on this roster in terms of things the things that he can do. So you you know, it, it's been an experiment, and I think we were actually kind of I think just talking about this on our most recent uh, episode of our podcast is that I think how well. Um, Houston does this year. If they win nine or ten games, then all of a sudden, we're, you know, if you ask us at the end of the year, going to be going, yeah, I think they're doing a great job of mixing <laughs> in transfers. And if we go six and six, it's me like, no, what the heck are we doing? Why have not we been signing more of our high school players? So it, ultimately, the results in the field, like I said, because we haven't gotten a full, necessarily a full good year to grade uh, Dana Holderson on. It's it's been kind of hard to uh, to grade his uh, his recruiting. Uh, strategy as well, but you know, I, I, it feels like that's that's kind of the uh, the the lay of the land. Is you know, I think for a team at this level, I think going after the transfer is a, a pretty good idea. SMU has actually been giving us a pretty good blueprint for that uh, plan of success right here in our own state. They've taken a lot of the you know, if you, if you're in a city like Houston, it makes that there's a lot of kids that started from Houston, went somewhere else, maybe didn't get the playing time they wanted, that kind of thing, and want to want to come play a little bit closer to home. And the SMU has done that with a lot of DFW kids, and I think it uh, it behooves Houston probably to uh, look at uh, every opportunity to bring Houston kids back home if they can uh, already show that they can play at the D1 level. Good example, that's the guy who's probably going to be the Cougars starting running back, uh, Tajon Henry, who uh, played at Lamar, was a pretty good player there, high three-star, and ended up playing his first two years uh, at Texas Tech, and now he's going to finish up his career at U of H. I think, I think he's going to be one of the, the first big names that the staff has taken on and is going to see a lot of the field for, you know, local kid coming back, coming back home to finish his career here. Yeah. I think that's it, it, interesting that you mentioned that the, uh, the transfer approach is kind of just dependent on whether or not the team wins. Cause I'm sitting here thinking Rice has, has won five of the last eight games that they've played, you know, of course, two and three last year, and then ending ending the 2019 season on the the three game winning streak. And so you 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 take that and the past two recruiting classes, and I'm kind of thinking through. I'm like, well, Rice has done pretty well in the transfer portal because they because they've won, and some of those guys have been a, a you know a, a the the Bradley Rosners, the Blaze Aldridge is a, a very good part of that. So. I, you know, maybe maybe that's not the fairest way to evaluate it, but yeah, it, it sure does make a lot of sense. I think we're going to have a lot of fan bases drawing a lot of conclusions that are not about strategy that because uh, you have schools all over the country that are taking the, you know, bring in a whole bunch of transfers or like, uh, you know, only do a couple high school players or go heavy on high schoolers and not go on the transfers. And uh, there are going to be a lot of fans that are drawing a lot of conclusions about the strategy and then when in reality it's just the like coaching 
it's not the particular mix. It's whether the guys are good or not. And so what you're actually judging is the coaching staff's ability to like identify and recruit talent, regardless of where it's coming from. Um, but I'm curious for y'all, because one of the things I've struggled with about kind of figuring out where Rice is this offseason is like, what conclusions do you draw from last year? Um, because I think UH is a school that like Rice was just like, even though y'all played more games than Rice did, um, the, the season was just so disrupted. And so it's it's like, okay, they looked good at times, they looked bad at times, but like, what of that data is actually relevant? And so I'm curious from that, like going into this season, based on last year, like what are you most, like not necessarily most confident, but like most sure about and least sure about based on like the way things are coming into this year? I think the thing that I'm most sure about, um, even even though this this wasn't a perfect defense, I feel like I saw definitive signs that what the staff was doing in terms of guys that they brought in, in terms of the kind of scheme change they you know they wanted to do versus what the last staff was doing, even though the overall results would probably still fall, you know, if you looked at the advanced analytics somewhere just you know somewhere just on the the wrong side of average and below average, it, it was, it was for me, it was such a stock ticker pointing up kind of thing. I was like, okay, well, you know, you can't entirely judge it. You had guys missing because of COVID. You had guys missing because of injuries. You were, you know, playing an opponent that had 55 guys total available one week. So, you know, the, the broader point of that, you know, the experience and the scheme change of that, the staff brought in, you know, I think, I think I saw enough to feel confident about that and that, with more normal circumstances surrounding this group of guys that it could be something eventually, maybe not a top 15, top 20 elite kind of defense, but that this could be a top 40 or top 50 defense. And frankly, with the off the kind of offensive chops this head coach supposedly has a top 40 or top 50 defense should be enough to, to build a winner. I think that was kind of a, uh, that was kind of a macro point I took away and kind of a, a micro point I took away was, God, this offensive line needs help. God, they, they need they need somebody to come in in twenty twenty. Like I know you get to talk about injury luck or whatever. They need some. They need someone who could come in and immediately play and immediately play at one of the interior positions. That was something I was just like, okay, this this has this has to happen. I know this is a weird kind of eight game sample size, but no, this offensive line needs help. If you if you bring nothing but the current guys and incoming freshmen back you're not going to be answering the position of biggest need here. And the thing I think I'm least sure about is, you know what, because whether this head coach still has his fastball, I guess, so to speak, in terms of play calling, because if you want to dig into his last few years, West Virginia, they had a very good last year. He was there. Uh, Jake Spavital, the current Texas state coach had play calling duties. Jake Spavital was the one designing that offense. So Dana hasn't really been, hadn't really been doing what he's doing at Houston, which is a head coach having a significant, you know, oversight of, uh, you know, down to being the primary play caller of this offense. Is Dana still capable of doing that? I think, I think you've got some very strong yeses and some very strong no's. If you look at the eight games of last season, you know, you had the Tulane opener where the Cougs, despite spending a quarter and a half just shooting themselves in the foot, still scored 42 points against a, a pretty solid two-lane defense and 27 against a very solid BYU defense before collapsing in the fourth quarter. And this, 
you look at the New Mexico Bowl, you look at the game against Memphis, and it was just a very frustrating watch from a Cougar fan base that I think has gotten used to offensive fires, has gotten used to whether it's the Tom Herman power spread or, you know, the Cliff Kingsbury air raid has gotten used to seeing lots of points get scored. And I, you know, I brought up all those examples to you and I couldn't tell you after watching the 2020 season, what I think is more likely to be the case when we see this team run out in September. So. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I had the, the schedule pulled up here and, and you mentioned, you know, you know, maybe somewhere in that, that nine win mark kind of being at a point where you can say, okay, this is differential. Something has changed from, from where the program was last year. And I was looking at it opening up against Texas Tech, which is, uh, you know, probably a game that, that UH is not expected to win. I think that would probably be pretty reasonable. And then you got the, the Bayou Bucket against Rice, which is which is interesting. And, and from the Rice perspective, it's, it's doubly important because Rice has that game sandwiched in between games against Arkansas, Texas, and then you have Texas Southern. Between their two run. SEC teams. <laughs> We're going to keep making that joke as long as, <laughs> as long as we can. But it's interesting from, from the Rice perspective because if Rice, uh, you know, assuming they don't beat the SEC teams, um, which, you know, I, I would love to see that, but obviously not not what we would expect to happen. Uh, if Rice doesn't pull an upset there, then they have the U of H game. Uh, that game is going to be extremely important from a Rice perspective because starting the season 0-3 uh, would be really rough with the expectations that that this fan base has. Uh, and, and U of H, uh, again, that second game going 0-2 against those expectations. Uh, it, it, would it be fair to say that this is this Bayou bucket has a maybe a bit more anticipation and, and hype and weight for both programs than, than where it was, I guess, uh, what, two years ago, the last two times these teams met? Yeah, I, I think I think it's potentially a desperation bowl type of situation and just that both coaches have been here a little bit longer now. Both coaches have been at the programs long enough that you expect to be seeing something resembling the finished product. So, you know, I, I think for Houston, regardless of, of, you know, whether Houston beats Tech or not in the opener, you know, that's the rice is rightly or wrongly always going to be a game that is going to be, I mean, every year really is kind of a desperation bowl for Houston because the fan base feels like rightly or wrongly that, that, that they should never lose to rice. So. If if this is supposed to be the year that Dana Holgerson, you know, shows what the finished product is and he's been here long enough. And again, if you're going to use the transfer route, you can't say that, OK, you got to give me a bunch of patience while I get all my high school guys in. Um, then this this should be the finished product season. So I think a, a loss to Rice would be pretty would be pretty damaging to the overall fan base psyche in terms of what that's going to you know, how the fan base is going to get bought in for the rest of the season. And, uh, and, and you know, and for Rice, I, I mean, I agree. It's the same thing. You, you've got uh, Bloom Green who's been there long enough now that that you would uh, you would expect to see some results. And I, I think it's entirely possible Rice could turn around and have a strong conference USA season after starting 0-3. But uh, uh, there's there's really no fan base that's not going to be uh, ready to hit the panic button a little bit after it start against uh, pretty much any schedule. We, we will have approximately 500 people tweeting us about when does basketball season start if U of H goes 0-2. <laughs> we'll probably have like 150 <laughs> If we go 0-1, even though, you know, even though I think a close loss to Texas Tech wouldn't be, you know, morale killer or anything, anything like that. I think, I think um, yeah, I, I think nobody here wants to start, you know, 0-2 or, or 0-3, even, even though I do think, like, in Rice's case, the fact that two, you know, two of those games, you know, it's not like, it's, it's not like it's Texas State and, 
trying to think. Uh, it's not against Texas State and um, well, we got Prairie you a lot, you a lot Yeah, but yeah, it, you know, it's like it's not like you're zero and three and oh, you know, two of those games are are really well. It's your zero and three and two of those games were played in part probably you know to to help the athletic department meet something close to its budget. Yeah, we'll, it's a we'll, you go. the way I look at it is like you know, no one is going to be shocked if Rice starts zero and three this year. But they have to like show something in those games because it's one thing to be 0 and 3 and like, okay, you just didn't have the talent to match up with all those teams, but like you showed something and you know, you got a, you, you got a win coming up and then you get to, you know, go into conference season strong. But like if it's if it's three blowout losses where you just the team just didn't look ready to play and you know different than like a you know well we were in it and we just didn't have the depth to stick with it in the end but like if you don't show something in those three games then that starts to be like start to feel pretty nervous about the overall direction of the season yeah which is why i'm i'm, I'm interested it's gonna for both programs you know we talked a little bit about clayton tune uh when we got things underway and, and of course luke mccaffrey at rice that that quarterback uh, and how that changes, especially early on in the season, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if this is the best Clayton tune that we're going to see. Uh, you know, like Holgerson, uh, like you were saying, it says, it says it could be. Uh, that could make this a pretty interesting matchup uh, in, I guess, what week two or whenever that comes around, in in September. It, it's probably, probably the most important September football game that Rice has played since well they didn't play any september games at all last year so <laughs> at least two years <laughs> but yeah funny that i'm just p- piecing the impact of that together so we'll see and that's that's only a couple weeks uh, away which is crazy as it gets uh and and we wanted to do i don't think we ran you guys through this last time whatever last time was but we've, we've been doing this with our our conference usa guests to close out all our pods, uh, but I did kind of retrofit it for for you AAC uh, fellows, if you will, for as long as Houston is in the AAC. Uh, we want to play the lightning round with you, so we'll throw a couple questions at you guys. Um, we got two of you. We haven't played it with a pair yet, so y'all can uh, be our test case and figure out uh, if you want to alternate or how you want to go through this, uh, but kind of just get your, your gut reaction, your first thoughts, and we will uh, we'll let you know at the end if you were right or wrong. <laughs> Sounds good. I don't think anybody's failed yet. You want to alternate, Dustin? I'll, Sounds yeah. I'll start. All right. All right. We'll we'll, we'll let you in easy. So here we go. Uh, who leads U of H in touchdowns this season? Uh, Tank Dell. All right. We'll flip it back around. Who leads U of H in sacks? Uh, David Anini. Okay. The best mascot in the American Conference is. PD the pirate of ECU. Ooh, this is good. I don't have this on here, but uh, best mascot uh, in Conference USA. Crowdsourcing here. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm being a total homer here, but I did have a couple of humorous interactions with uh, uh, Sammy the Owl at uh, at Tudor Fieldhouse. So I guess I'll uh, I'll play <laughs> I'll play the, the, to the guests here. I keep I keep telling people, you know, how many Conference USA mascots, especially, have ever been ejected from a basketball game for headbutting a ref? Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 come we, on we, now. 
we went to a game later on that year after that happened and kind of razzed him about it a little bit. And he was funny and kind of had a funny reaction. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Sammy fan since then. There we go. All right. Back back to football on the field. Uh, for, for U of H, what player is not a preseason all-conference selection? Uh, but he probably should be. Christian Trahan. All right. Uh, and then if we're, we're pulling U of H out of it, uh, remove your any bias you got. Uh, if U of H doesn't win the AAC, who does? Cincinnati. And then is Cincinnati uh, getting that New Year's Six spot? What do you think? Yes. 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 Emphatically, yes. Emphatically, yes. And so that brings me to the last one of the last two questions. Uh, any AAC team finishing the year in the top 15? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll back Cincinnati to be top 15. All right, then last but not least, what conference is the University of Houston going to be playing in in 2024? Because I'm, uh, because I'm, uh, if nothing, if not a pessimist, uh, some, the AAC, and we're not making any more media money than we are right now. <laughs> all right, uh, that that's all we had for Honestly, you. Honestly, I feel like the, the, the favorite against the field would be a conference that doesn't currently exist. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, actually. Yeah. Someone was asking me that. I was on a, a, a podcast the other the other Moonshine Throwdown, Western Kentucky and Marshall, and someone was asking me about that. I said, you, whoever didn't get picked to go up a level to the next league is is going to be the spare parts, and we will cobble ourselves together, and we will be that conference. The great Midwestern, the great West Mid-South League. <laughs> I mean, the, the WAC is, just is started sponsoring fcs football again so yeah. i feel like we're due for some sort of like quasi resurrected whack type of thing rice can I go to, back to it i had to explain to my dad today that sam houston is now playing in a conference against a school in st george utah which is which he he did, he couldn't wrap his mind around and quite frankly i don't blame him wait what yeah uh utah tech formerly dixie state is uh one of those schools that joined uh Join the whack here about an hour and a half east of me in vegas uh in, oh that's in, fun in, oh yeah in beautiful st george utah you said that i had completely forgotten about u of h moving to the whack or u of h at uh, sam, sam houston yeah. yeah unless u of h is, is also covertly i did not realize that, that dixie state had changed their name there goes one yeah. of the great like awkward college football yes. trivia questions yes <laughs> incredibly until 2021 they were using that but they're they're going to be utah tech i believe the uh, coming calendar or athletic year because if utah tech doesn't strike fear into your opponents what does exactly that's wild man well uh always always a fun time having you on and and we will uh i'm sure have more to talk about in a couple weeks once uh we get through uh, a couple more weeks of fall camp and uh get closer to the season but for uh for the u of h faithful who are uh listening along with us and for any rice fans who are curious at what it's like on the other side of town where can we follow you guys and, and what do you got going on uh, yeah, you can, uh, any, anywhere you get your podcast, you can search for the Scott Holman podcast. And of course it's podcast P A W D C A S T because we've got to be corny if nothing else. Um, anywhere you get your podcast, you should be able to search and find us. We also tweet quite a bit practically, uh, probably an unhealthy amount if we're being completely honest. Uh, so if you're active on the Twitters, uh, at S H podcast, same spelling, the P A W D, uh, we, uh, we like to chat and, uh, interact with people from all over the country and all different schools. So, uh, Definitely uh, give us a follow over there. And I just I just Googled for fun. If you if you go with old school podcast, it, it does show up. 
Okay, so you should be able to find it anyway, but uh, if you want to... Even, even if on principle you refuse to use our tacky animal-themed name, we, <laughs> we understand and still welcome your, uh, your decision to listen to us or follow us on social media. Yes, and, and I'm, I'm looking now, and I think I see a, a picture of Major Applewhite at the top of your Twitter feed. Of course. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I literally just scrolled to that. <laughs> you, I, so, and this is an aside. I, I will co-sponsor. You should follow these guys on Twitter because, because they're hilarious, regardless of if you need to follow anything U of H related uh, or, or you care to, because every time that there's a job opening, it, anything tangentially related to, I guess it, it started as college football, it's expanded, but it's Major Applewhite, head coach of Major Applewhite, OC of, I don't know if what else you've had there. Where is Major White Major, Major currently Applewhite, employed? Former Rice offensive coordinator. Former Rice offensive yeah, Former Graham, Alabama yeah. offensive coordinator in Nick Saban's first year. Where what is up, he now? He is he he was uh he was in uh, Nick Saban's school for coaches who can't coach good uh, in the analyst room for a couple of years there. And I remember he, that. Yeah, he's and, and uh, now he puts, I am I am literally South Alabama, I believe. Yeah, South Alabama. Okay. Yep. So it actually it started as I thought it'd be very fun because he was apparently a semi serious candidate for UTSA's opening when they very smartly hired Jeff Trailer. I just tweet I thought it was very funny. Yeah, UTSA head coach Major Applewhite. That would be funny and just. For some some stupid reason, just decided to do it every time I saw a job opening of any kind, and I I, I very much appreciate your uh, your endorsement, Matt. It's just it's just my favorite thing ever because some of it the it was UTSA. There was a couple. I'm like, I mean, no, but like I yeah. guess. And then I don't know. I feel like you started tweeting it for like senators or something yep. bizarre yet. Yeah, some, I, someone suggested uh, New York Governor uh, uh, Major <laughs> Applewhite to us recently, just to keep it topical. <laughs> I just hope you didn't catch the attention of uh, UTSA Twitter when you when you said that because, good well, God, was, are, are they an annoying bunch? Oh yeah, but like no, he was he was actually it wasn't even like it was he was a serious candidate, which I I told every UTSA person I know just what a bad idea that was. Uh, please do not hire this guy. So on the rice side, we would have loved if they would have hired Major Applewhite. That would have been great. Yeah, I, I think I think the Western side of conference USA very much. Uh, very much would have appreciated it. Uh, he probably would have. He probably would have burned. Uh, what's uh, Wilson, the quarterback there? He probably would have played him at receiver and then like burned his red shirt or something stupid. Hey, uh, Frank Harris. Frank Harris. Yeah, so I, I was getting. I was getting Frank Wilson that had, Yeah, exactly. He There's a non-zero chance that. that Frank Harris would be a better right, wide receiver than a quarterback, but maybe that's, that's maybe that's yeah. just my opinion. True. That's a different podcast. Uh, well, all right. Uh, it's a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, it's always always, cool, always good to get our uh, crosstown rivals from the third ward on the on the podcast with us. But uh, thanks to the listeners for sticking through us. Uh, we draw ever closer to football season, so uh, we'll keep y'all updated and rise fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.